Hi guys, Paul from the Innovation Community here. Today I'm with Ramon Kulin, who is a finance and data evangelist and the former chief data and analytics officer at Philip Morris International. So Ramon established from scratch a centralized enterprise-wide uh, strong data governance and data science organization with 200 employees for PMI. So lucky to have him with us. Thank you to have us, to have me. Tell us a bit about yourself in a few words to start with. Well, uh, I'm a Dutch national, uh, grew up in the Netherlands, um, studied in the Netherlands economics, master degree, uh, and early uh, already I started to join Philip Morris uh, in the Bergman Zoom factory uh, as a junior accountant, grew in several roles, went to the headquarter in Lausanne, which was a headquarter of the EU region at that moment. Uh, in 2006 to 2008, let's say, the exciting times as Philip Morris uh, spun off from Altria, i.e. we became a stock-listed company. So suddenly we became a corporate office um, with all the pluses and minuses. And uh, somewhere in 2016, uh, they asked me to investigate what a CDO was, what he did. And I ended up getting the job in Philip Morris. And I'm sure we'll be talking about that uh, a lot later. What's your favorite country that you've worked in? Well, to be honest, I don't have a favorite country. I mean, in, in the role I had, in the several roles I had in the corporate office, uh, it was amazing to, to be able to travel around the world, uh, to meet several cultures, etc. And I, I think I would be able to settle down in Tokyo, uh, in Lausanne, in New York. It doesn't really matter. Every country has its advantages and its disadvantages. Uh, it's just a matter of embracing the challenges. It's very altruistic. I like it. So where did your career working in data start? Well, you could say it started in 2016, uh, but that would be not fully correct because as a finance guy, you really already very early uh, in your career have to be able to handle data. Now, I could even go one step further. My passion for data was even in my student time when I was recording for my football team, uh, who made the pass, who scored the goal, et cetera, et cetera. So I've always been interested in the strength of data to, you know, to see some progress. Um, only the last few years, uh, I would really, I, I would say I would really get into, okay, how do we make sure that we can get it for predictive and prescriptive analytics uh, more than just descriptive? So this for you has clearly been uh, something that's been an integral part of your life. What really interests you about working with data and, and what continues to interest you? Well, first of all, of course, working with data is sort of getting the truth uh, out, of, out there. Um, of course, there's always bias, even in data, but bias in experience uh, is much greater than bias in data. Uh, on top, in finance, in a stock-listed company, you quickly learn that you cannot lie, you cannot cheat, um, you cannot mislead sh uh, shareholders. Uh, so your data has to be absolutely correct. If you quote it, you have to make sure you substantiate it. So whether this was financial data or this was uh, market share data or total market data, uh, I always made sure that my teams and I 
uh, had detailed backups to substantiate if the SEC would ever, you know, come along and say, can you please show me where you base your numbers on? Um, so that's, I think, is the importance of data. Data is giving you a better view of the truth than experience or opinions. Uh, so that's why I got very much into the uh, data stuff. Makes sense. So what are some of the major successes that you've achieved over your career? Well, yeah, I, I always believe that it's not my successes which I achieved. I mean, I have never achieved by myself without the help of anyone, anything. Uh, it's always the team, the function, uh, even sometimes the whole organization which uh, enables you to progress, to step forward. Um, the the spin-off becoming a separate entity uh, listed in the S&P 500 was a major achievement, but it wasn't just me who did that. It was a whole team. Uh, I think setting up the organization uh, as a CDAO uh, was a major achievement. But again, I didn't set up the organization. I just let the organization to set them up by themselves. Um, so I can't say that I have a major achievement all done by myself um, rather than having a daughter. That was my achievement, uh, which I and my wife can only be responsible for. Fair enough. So, so what was your experience from moving from quite a heavily financial role to this new CDAO role? What were some of the challenges that came with that? Well, the, the challenge was in the first place that I basically had two people uh, initially reporting to me. Uh, fortunately, these were people who had uh, proper project experience, and one was uh, a former finance data manager. So we quickly had to ramp up uh, not just the organization, but uh, we had to ramp up what I would call the PR of the future organization, EAD. Uh, because I, I, with all the experience I had in the corporate office, um, I didn't want to just become another function uh, which was hidden in the basement somewhere. Uh, I had a clear agreement with senior management to formulate the strategy within three months. I had a clear agreement after that to formulate progress in 12 months and three years. Uh, the mandate was very strong, uh, but the challenges were mostly in convincing the rest of the organization that it was now time to change. Uh, data management was in certain functions never the highest priority, but Philip Morris changing from a conventional cigarette to more electronic cigarettes opened suddenly the doorway for much more data analytics uh, data collection, uh, the Internet of Things suddenly popped up, which were all terminology and topics which people have maybe have read about, but didn't fully clearly understand in the organization. So the first six months, I would say, it was mainly being sort of an evangelist on data management and data science and explaining time and time again what this meant for every individual. 
So that was the major challenge in the beginning. So in your opinion, what is the secret sauce for implementing a holistic data strategy? A pretty loaded question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I would know it, I would probably uh, be a multi-billionaire by now. But no, I, I think there is one, definitely one thing uh, which is very important. You have to make sure that uh, if you do the holistic part and centralized, that you have senior management backing you up all the way from the board to senior management teams. If they don't believe in it, then uh, at some point in time, um, you will crash, you will hit the wall. Um, The other thing is to show the internal organization the value of data science and in conjunction with their data management. Uh, I always explained it to the organization and saying, look, it's like a coin. You see, there's a double side on the coin. It's different. One side might be boring because whatever, your queen is on it or your king is on it. And the other side is the monetary value which the coin indicates. Uh, that is the same thing with data science. Data science is the monetary value, but without the king or the queen on the other side, you do not create any monetary value. Then it just becomes a token. Um, So that is very challenging. And uh, treat data science and data governance as a product, uh, an internal product. Market it, sell it. uh, Don't throw in all the time, it's because of GDPR. Because it doesn't resonate if people have to maintain data just because of lawyers. It resonates if you can explain to them that it can create value. Maybe not in that function immediately, but across functions. Uh, And therefore, democratizing the data is very important. That doesn't mean that everybody has access to every single data point, but it does mean that everybody should be able to find out which data is there. And what role does technology have to play in this? And what effects do you think this will have on the, the data landscape over the next few years? Well, one of the important steps we, for instance, took is, if I come back to the data democratization, is uh, engaging with a software company to make sure that you have a data dictionary, et cetera, et cetera. The technology next to the technology which can help you to govern your data better, which can help you to come up with predictive analytics, uh, technology will continue further and further and in all kind of uh, equipment stuff, whether this is machine equipment in the manufacturing process, whether this is uh, household products, the Internet of Things will become more and more important uh, in ensuring, for instance, if I buy a certain piece of equipment and somebody tells me the warranty is two years, I as a manufacturer want to make sure that the warranty of two years is feasible. So the technology will progress. Um, therefore, more data will be captured. Therefore, stronger analytics or data science will be a, a capability. Um, and I think that will ultimately lead to better business decisions and increasing stakeholder value. And, and you mentioned that a lot of the, the challenges is, is getting senior leadership buy-in. So how did you engage and communicate 
with the senior leaders within Philip Morris? Well, my luck uh, was, of course, already that they, there was no predecessor. So senior management uh, wanted me to take up that role. So the sponsorship was there. Uh, and I basically got uh, the assignment to come up with the strategy. Now, the funny thing was that when I had to present the strategy for the senior management, some senior managers said to me of, let's say, administrative functions, well, this is not for me, right? Uh, this is more for marketing and sales. And I said, well, you better be present in a meeting uh, because it will touch us all. So I think that if you uh, have the assignment to do it, be frank and open in the first place. Don't overpromise. Don't tell senior management, look, uh, within year one, we will make um, a big difference. Uh, we will generate revenue. I told management, we will generate in three years from now, uh, we will generate five times our cost base. That was the, 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 the target. I, told as well to all my direct reports and they told their teams, etc. So be open, be transparent, um, go frequently to them because data is not on top of their priority. Um, but if you go frequently to them and communicate your successes and your failures, uh, I think senior management will clearly and quickly see the business benefit for it. And, and how about when you were building the team as well? I mean, building 200 plus data leaders in, in an organization can't have been easy. How did you get that message across of, of what needed to happen? Well, I think the most important thing is when you start building, uh, especially in my situation, I didn't have a background as a CDO. Uh, so for me, it was very important to listen to the other people, to give them room to create. We started describing processes, um, on how we thought within Philip Morris, we had to set up data governance, data architecture, data science. We had a back office uh, making sure that workshops were generated for uh, creating buzz in the organization. So every function would get a workshop to see um, how the value could be created for their function. Uh, but we also, I also told my people, okay, look at platforms which we want to use. Um, what about career path uh, in the data science? Uh, we didn't recruit all the people just here in Switzerland. We set up a, a data lab, as we called it, in Krakow. We set up a data lab in Amsterdam and one in Tokyo. And I told my people, look, it's your lab. Uh, you know, if you want to have... You know, and this sounds weird, but if you want to have a table football game in your lab because you need to switch off, do it. Uh, so I saw my role very much as clearing the path so that the people who really knew about the topics could advance. So whether this was on data management, data quality, or data science. Um, and I think that's the most important thing. Communicate very clearly to your organization what you want, what you expect from them. I told them, I want to have a cross-functional organization. I don't want uh, only technical people in my team. I need business people there who understand what HR is doing, what marketing is doing, but also who understand where the data is. Um, so give people room, 
but bring them under one umbrella. So yes, we made, you know, I, I made every quarter, uh, I made videos uh, because of the, you know, the distance. But I also did every month, we did a departmental meeting where everybody could call in. So make sure that the people get the liberty to act, uh, but understand in which direction they have to go. You know, I once was told by uh, a military guy who said, when Napoleon fought wars, all noses had to be in one direction. Nowadays, if a military unit moves on, noses are in a different direction, but the, the progress is in the same direction. So that's what I was trying to create. That's a, a really good analogy as well. Uh, where do you see the biggest opportunity for improvement in organizations right now? Well, a lot of organizations, uh, even organizations I, I still advise, uh, think that if they hire uh, 20 data scientists, that they will crack the code. Uh, and then I have to explain to them, first of all, do you know which data you have? Do you know the quality of your data? Why are you collecting that much data if you don't do anything with it? Uh, is it easy accessible? So the foundation of every, what I call enterprise analytics and data organization, starts with proper data governance, which is data quality in my view, data management, data architecture. Um, if you don't do that properly, the chances that you get high value data science out of it is not uh, likely. And not to my surprise, to be honest, but a lot of organizations are, for instance, on data quality so far away on the right level that, you know, you drive your data scientists nuts because they have to spend weeks of cleaning data, gathering data, adjusting data. And first of all, it's not fun for the data scientists. Secondly, who tells me that they're not cleaning the wrong data or cleaning it in the wrong way. So uh, I keep telling organizations, do it at the same moment, because I'm, a, I'm definitely a big believer of saying, do data science and data governance at the same moment and put them in one team because they learn from each other. Uh, they can explain things to each other. My data scientists would find errors and would give it to the data quality team and the data quality team would go back to the business to understand to try to understand and explain to them how to avoid it. Uh, but most organizations are not even on the base level of a proper foundation, except the Googles, the Apples, and all the big techs of this world. And because that's another warning for a lot of companies. They read about the Googles, the Yahoos, and you suddenly have senior management thinking that they can become the same. Uh, but I always tell them, look, your core strength is maybe in making machines or making cars um, or making cigarettes. Don't try to become a data company. Try to become a data-driven company. That's two different things. Yeah, I think the, the analogy with, with how uh, Apple, people want to be like Apple, people hire people from ex-Apple leaders and ex-Google leaders and you know they expect it to, to switch on like that. Obviously not how it works. What do you think was the biggest mistake you made during your career? 
but especially in the, I think I, I think in the beginning of my career, I made zillions of mistakes. Um, especially when I became, you know, slowly but surely, I was becoming supervisor, manager, etc. Uh, and I really had to learn to listen. I really had to learn uh, to ask more questions. So my biggest mistake probably is that I, in the beginning especially, didn't listen too well to my teams or to maybe to management even sometimes. Um, and therefore you delay things, therefore things, you know, I had to build financial systems and therefore maybe the costs of the financial systems became a bit too high. Uh, but I don't think I made a big enough mistake because I worked 24 years for Philip Morris to get rid of me. So um, I think it's, it's, I remember one of the mistakes that I thought when I got a, a new team, when I went to Lowe's up, uh, I was raised in Anglo-Saxon management style. And suddenly I had four French speaking people reporting to me, um, which was a bit of a different ball game. But I always believe that if you pay attention, you listen, you observe, and you learn, uh, you quickly overcome your difficulties. And, you know, mistakes remain small mistakes, not big ones. That's absolutely fantastic. I've never been able to put my finger on it, but until you've just said it, the Anglo-Saxon way of management, and, and I've, I kind of get what you mean. I got, as soon as you said it, I knew, which is uh, it's brilliant. I'm going to use that from now on. So what are your thoughts on the impacts of COVID-19 right now? Well, a lot of people, of course, are suffering because of COVID-19. I mean, people have died, people are unhospitalized, uh, etc. So in a sense, it's a tragedy. But uh, from a business perspective, you can also say that uh, because of this crisis, it opens up a lot of opportunities. Um, for years, everyone, as, even I as an economist already talked about, uh, why can't people work more from home? Why can't people work more remote? Uh, within Philip Morris, I set up the office in Amsterdam and Tokyo, and it proved already that working remote with remote teams is very easy. Um, I think COVID-19 has accelerated that. Uh, of course, there will be new challenges for a lot of companies. Uh, but I think that if companies see this more as an opportunity, uh, not so much to restructure, but to rethink about their processes, on you know how to measure productivity for instance when somebody when you can't see somebody well look, uh, a lot of management think that it is better that they see their people because then they can see whether or not they work but the reality is you should be able to uh, challenge and measure people in a total different way now on top i think COVID has showed us all how what the importance is of data proper data definitions um, because at this moment, if you ask, okay, how many people suffered from COVID, it's, it's a sort of a fruit, a mixed fruit uh, bowl. Um, in some countries, they uh, register a COVID death uh, when he or she is uh, deemed to have had COVID, and others, they only record it if that was the main cause. I mean, so COVID, I think, showed that in a, pandem a pandemic kind of way, that it's very important to have shared uh, data definitions, uh, shared frequency of data, proper quality. But I think it shows also for companies 
that if you make it smaller and say, okay, and now we're talking about functions and we start to collect, I always make the joke, we start to collect headcount. Um, I urge every CDO to ask the finance department, the HR department and the general services department to ask how many people are in this building. And you will see you get three different numbers. Uh, and that is the real situation. Uh, so I think COVID has, has showed us, again, the weaknesses of our data collection. But I, I'm an optimistic person. I, I believe it, it really will generate, and it has generated, tremendous online business, total different working methodologies. It will generate new systems, new processes. So I hope that once the, everybody has um, a vaccine, um, that the world at least has changed a little bit. Makes a lot of sense. What is your top working from home tip? Um, but I'm very bad working from home, but I, I always say shut down all shutters because distraction um, can be very high. On the other hand, if I have to write a paper or have to write a strategy or uh, have to analyze a, a certain question, it helps a lot if uh, I can sit by myself I'm lucky enough to have a basement uh, with an office. Um, so I think that is very important. The other thing is very important. Enjoy sometimes the outside air. Go outside, take a deep breath, and you will see those miracles sometimes for your problem-solving uh, capabilities. What's the best piece of advice you ever received? Don't be afraid. Um, don't be afraid and take always responsibility. Uh, I think a couple of months ago, I heard it somewhere on the television. It was as well in relation with COVID. You know, people now have to take decisions um, with with a hundred percent impact based on fifty percent of knowledge or fifty percent of data. Uh, and if that freezes you, then there's no progress. Uh, so don't be afraid. You will make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. It's okay. As long as you realize that once you make a mistake, you adjust, you adapt, uh, and then you take a different decision. Uh, the worst things to do is to sit still and don't move. So don't be afraid. That was the best piece of advice I ever got. What are you curious about right now? Oh, I'm curious about so many things. Um, I'm curious about what kind of um, new ways are opening up with new technologies once we go to quantum, how far we go in the cloud, um, how can we tackle uh, insecurity with all this uh, data integrity, I mean, the hacking part. Uh, so I'm, I'm very curious on how the world will move in the next 10 years. Uh, I'm of an age where my youth was quite slow. And since, let's say, my university computers came up, etc., the world has moved so far fast. Uh, so let's see, do we get self-driving cars within the next 10 years, 20 years? You know, what will be the impact on the social life on that one? Uh, so many things thrill me. Uh, 
I think the future is bright. Uh, I sometimes wonder how we can use uh, our data power much more in uh, helping to prevent poverty um, uh, and, and hunger, because that's still sadly the case in the world. So I'm very curious to those topics, whether that will be solved in the next 10 years, yes or no. Who is currently your favorite thought leader or author? <laughs> well, the same person who ever told me, don't be afraid, he told me, and don't believe one single person by itself. Um, form your opinion by uh, reading and uh, listening to a lot of people. Nobody has uh, the single truth. <coughs> uh, it's uh, the best thing is to collect all truth and uh, form your own opinion on it. Um, so no, I am not a fan of Steve Jobs alone, or I'm not a fan of uh, a famous philosopher. Uh, I think that if you take a lot of elements of all industry leaders, but even sports, uh, even military, politicians, then you form and you become much broader. You form your own opinion and become much broader. Last question, what advice would you give for aspiring leaders in data? Um, first and foremost, um, be a good people manager. Uh, your successes as a CDO are not just measured by the amount of money you make for the company. Uh, they are mostly... Uh, measured by uh, how much your people are willing to work for you and are willing to come up with initiatives because the biggest mistake you could make is to think you know it all. Uh, use the intelligence of your team, use the intelligence of the business and don't think that uh, you know it all or better. So listen very carefully, observe very carefully, uh, talk with the business a lot uh, because it's the business you have to convince uh, in using the, and maintaining the data. Uh, it's not the CDO who makes the business, it's the business who makes the CDO job. Great advice from Ramon Kulin. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome.